Hey everybody, it's me Jade and I am really excited to bring you this, the penultimate episode, the second to last episode of On The Way, the bonus season, bonus round one. I don't know what I've ever really called it. I think I just call it, keep calling it bonus season. Uh, this episode, I am interviewing Drew Emerson. We met earlier this year, me and Drew, or Drew and I, if you're a stickler for grammar. And he was just a really cool guy. He had a strong head on his shoulders. He had a lot of drive and ambition. And he was just a really, a really interesting person to meet and get to know. And I thought that you would think the same thing because he's studying to be an entertainment lawyer, which we'll get more into later. But entertainment law is such a fascinating and wide field, and yet not a lot of people think about it. So I thought this might be really interesting to see someone who's starting to get into that field. And I hope you think it is interesting because we're actually about to start the episode right now. So buckle up. And remember, this is a WGC production. Drew Emerson is a 28-year-old from Savannah, Georgia. He is a first-year JD MBA student at Howard University. He received his undergraduate degree from Johnson C. Smith University. And his aspirations are to be in the entertainment industry as a music producer and an entertainment attorney. In the end, however, he hopes to become an angel investor that specializes in supporting Black small businesses. Hey, Drew, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jade. How are you? I'm doing really good. It's cold outside and I'm really into that right now. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm, not, I'm not too, you know, familiar with, with so many people that are, you know, into winter. So that's, that's a great, that's, that's great. Um, well, those are again, my two favorite seasons. <laughs> yeah, it's a great time, especially since I'm in Florida and our cold isn't that cold. It's really... Oh, gotcha. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's a loophole. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> So I'm going to open this up with the first question I ask everybody. Where do you come from and where are your roots? Okay, so um, I come from Savannah, Georgia, um, the west side of Savannah, Georgia. Some would kind of consider it, I guess, quote unquote, the ghetto um, or, or the projects, but really lived across the street from the projects. Um, had to walk there through um, to get to school for, for, you know, grade school and whatnot. Um, so, you know, that's where I'm from. I'm from, you know, a, a, a single parent house um, where, you know, both of my parents um, at some point in time had to go to college. So I spent most of my time with my grandmother and, you know, my grandmother had, you know, medical issues and things of that nature. So she, you know, wasn't necessarily, you know, functional um, to the point of being, you know, constantly working and stuff like that. So, you know, mm-hmm. it was a kind of, it was a, a, a childhood that, you know, brought up a lot of character and, you know, helped, you know, promote me and propel me into, you know, what I'm doing now. Okay. And what exactly is it that you're doing now? How would you describe it in your own words? So what I'm doing now is basically, you know, aspiring to be in the entertainment industry, both as a facilitator on the law side and then as a creative on the music side. So, um, and and with that too, like, I'm still trying to figure it out. Like, you know, 28 is kind of up there, but <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, like 28 is still relatively young. And it is, yes. Trying to figure out, you know, where exactly I want to land in the entertainment industry and how, you know, those two, you know, creative side of entertainment, as well as the lawyer side of entertainment, how, you know, those two uh, sides will pan out. And specifically when, when you say entertainment, I know you have an interest in music. Is that what you mean when you say entertainment or do you just mean broader? So, um, yeah. So like, you know, 
back in Savannah, um, one of the things that, you know, would be, you know, the mainstay of summer would be watching PBS Kids. <laughs> um, and because, you know, that, that would be the regular television. We didn't necessarily have cable, you know, <laughs> but, you know, it was fantastic. Got to watch mm-hmm. Zoom, got to watch, you know, Arthur and stuff like that. And, you know, around the age of like five or six, I um, for Christmas, I got a keyboard. And it was just one of those, you know, tinker toy type things that, you know, they give you when you're young. Um, But the next summer, uh, my grandmother saw me and, you know, recorded me um, playing some of the intros um, to PBS Kids by ear. And since then, it was, you know, nothing but music. But it was never, you know, me getting pushed into music. And, um, you know, it was always just, you know, free flowing. So that being said, like music has always been the roots, but, you know, with the recent, you know, internships that I've had, like I was able to, you know, expand my horizon and look into different things like film and television and stuff like that. So it's still up in the air where I want to land with entertainment, but definitely music is, you know, one of the preferred avenues. Okay. And then I want to ask you about something that was mentioned in your bio. So you went to Johnson C. Smith University for undergrad, another HBCU for being a double HBCU grad. That's pretty cool. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. (laughs) And And you were also one of the first music business and technology sound art graduates. So can you talk to us exactly about what that is and what the process of getting that degree for the first time in the college's university was like? Yes. Um, so basically, um, I applied to Johnson C. Smith for that um, major and also for political science because I knew that I wanted to get into law school. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the issues that, you know, I'm sure people that, that will listen to this um, that are trying to, you know, get into um, possibly into law school on the entertainment side, but also want to do music in undergrad, there aren't really too many programs that have music production that are traditional four-year colleges. So this was one of the first of its kind at a traditional four-year college that introduced music production along with, you know, of course, as the title says of it, um, music business, as well as the technology side of it. Um, The sound art side is the actual music production component. And um, that major was um, amazing. Um, So, you know, I got to learn a little bit of the law. It was like a precursor to um, all of my, all of the things that I'm doing at Howard Law. And it also, you know, helped me get inundated in the music business and, you know, further learn my craft. Um, Because I think that's one of the other things too, like, especially with music producers, like we feel like we know everything and really we um, don't know like the roots of music production and, you know, down to the waves being used and stuff like that. And then going back up to, you know, what we hear on the radio. So it was an amazing um, curriculum and it was ran by, you know, amazing professors that took the time out to, you know, teach me, you know, certain pitfalls and to learn me so that they could, you know, guide me in the right directions, you know, both for a career and then you know, for, for, you know, curated lesson plans. So yeah, it was, it was pretty dope. All right. And then you went from that to being a JD MBA at good old HU. So could you tell us about how that experience is going and how that's further developing your understanding of what you want to do and your knowledge of the industry? Sure. So um, yeah, after, um, well, during my senior year, 
at Johnson C. Smith University, um, I managed to lock in um, a uh, internship with a small record label, um, BNR Records. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was an internship. It was like kind of sort of in business. And I wanted to be a producer. Like I, as soon as like they started talking about, yeah, we're going to accept you. And it was a record label. I had the mission of, no, I know y'all want me to be an intern, but I'm going to be a producer. So in order to do that, not only did I do my work to, you know, get to that point, but I also, you know, took any opportunity in production that I had. Like they had like a pop artist. I didn't really make too many pop beats, but I, you bet I did make pop beats for, <laughs> for that artist so that I could, you know, just get my foot in the door. And it was the same thing with, um, you know, eventually applying to Howard, because as much as I did like um, working at that record label, I knew that, you know, I wanted to have both sides. And, you know, going to Howard, like it was going to Howard Law, it was like, you know, I know that I have a little bit of, you know, a law background with, you know, poli sci and both the music business and technology sound art major. Let me try to dazzle and try to, you know, explain that I would be the ideal candidate for Howard Law, as well as, you know, slide in the fact that I want to do entertainment law. And it was actually the entertainment law that the admission council um, took a liking to, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that ended up, you know, being, you know, how I, how I got into Howard Law and um, always knew, like, even during my 1L year that I wanted to do the JD MBA program because as much as, you know, my mother, like I said, back when I was, you know, in, um, in grade school and stuff like that was attending college. She, another HBCU from another HBCU, South Carolina State University, where she, um, got her degree in public relations and marketing. You guys went Um, deep. Yeah. Yeah. We're deep. We're deep. Um, and actually my dad is, um, from Savannah state. So it's not for HBCU and the family, but, um, yeah, both of them have business backgrounds. And of course, you know, they had me doing SWOT analysis when I was like 11 years old and, you know, for, for a lawn mowing company and that I was trying to make or selling candy and stuff like that, like making sure that I knew about profit margins and stuff like that. But I still, Mm didn't feel too comfortable with um, business. So I always knew that I was going to do the JD MBA. And um, basically the admission council and then also the, the career service um, at, at Howard Law, you know, just, you know, gave me the tools required to, you know, secure my first internship. And then later on secure my um, cohort position with the Howard Entertainment Program. Oh, we'll get to the Howard Entertainment Program. It's, it's going to be a great time. But before we do that, let's talk about that first internship you spoke of. So in your first year at law school, you became the first summer legal associate in the history of Essence. So how did that happen? Uh, and then what did you do and what did you learn from that experience? Sure. So um, one of the things that, you know, just in general, um, if, you know, you're trying to get into entertainment law, um, it's going to be rough to try to find like actual jobs that fit entertainment law. Um, You can always, you know, select a firm that has a very reputable um, entertainment law department, but just finding a entertainment law job is going to be difficult. You're going to have to use somebody else's pipeline, 
whether that's, you know, public interest, working with a nonprofit that may dabble in entertainment, or if you're working in the private sector, having to, you know, deal with, you know, a big law firm and possibly working with, you know, something transactional like mergers and acquisitions, and then trying to segue mergers and acquisitions to entertainment law, because there are, you know, some mergers and acquisitions in, in, in the music industry and in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And if you're lucky, um, you can, you know, end up, you know, working your way to entertainment, you know, section of the law firm or, you know, just get in at first. So, you know, with that being said, of course, law school grades are everything. And, you know, I felt kind of shy with my grades um, coming from <laughs> the section that I came from, like, my professors, I loved them to death, but they they were some they the most difficult classes that I've taken in my life. Mm-hmm. So I was feeling kind of shy around this time, um, one L year, not thinking that I did too hot with these final grades. And um, you know, I actually did do well and um I was able to secure a partial internship with a firm, but before that. I wanted to apply to as many like entertainment um, dominant law internships as possible. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I've tried, you know, different things and I saw that Essence had an internship program, but not necessarily for law students. Um, It didn't have, you know, anything for the legal department at Essence. So I ended up, you know, talking to them and conversing with them and eventually, you know, basically, you know, trying to, you know, politic my way in and, you know, just show them, you know, like, hey, it could be, you know, really good for y'all to have interns that, you know, start going through the Essence precedent and stuff like that so that, you know, they can come back to Essence and work in the legal department. And just recently, when I was doing that, Richard Dennis became, you know, the CEO of Essence and they separated from Time Inc. and Meredith. And, with that, like they didn't really have that infrastructure for their legal department. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were building it from the ground up. So it was a very ausp- auspicious moment um, for me to, you know, kind of pitch that to them. So eventually, you know, after, you know, several emails um, and calls and stuff like that, they agreed that they were going to open the application process, but it wasn't a guarantee that I was going to make it. Um, I eventually did make it and actually a funny story I'm a part of the sports and entertainment law student association um, at Howard and um, Howard Law and um, they you know sent the group me message about the opportunity I'm like you know I'll be more than happy if one of my classmates get the position but this is the position that I you know (laughs) tried to create myself but um, definitely pushed that for them and stuff like that. But I did eventually get it and um, ended up getting also a firm position for, for the other half of the summer. But um, at Essence, it was amazing. Like it, just the experience of, you know, working for a predominantly Black business that's focused around, you know, Black lives as well as Black women specifically was just an amazing experience. Um, My supervisor, Michelle Evans, like she showed me the game from, you know, start to finish um, when it came to entertainment law. Like she started with the statement of use um, all the way to the activations at Essence Festival. And it was, you know, such a 
you know, awe inspiring moment to see like all of that paperwork turn into, you know, these huge, you know, activations and events at Essence Festival in New Orleans. And, um, you know, I was there like every step of the way from, you know, her negotiating back and forth with artists and sponsors and things of that nature to um, then negotiating further and, you know, red line contracts and stuff like that to, you know, actually being there on the ground during Essence Festival, sometimes enjoying some of the events mm-hmm. or times than not, you know, just observing and making sure that everything went smoothly. Um, so going from reviewing like 800 contracts and each contract being like 50 plus pages to, you know, going to these activations, like it was like, most people get to dip their toe in into the waters of entertainment law. I went in head first. <laughs> um, so it was an amazing experience and it built my acumen up tremendously um, from just the regular contracts classes that I took my 1L year. And I imagine you meet uh, a lot of people in these festivals. Like you said, you were there every step of the way from contracts to the actual activation. So how did you go about networking and building relationships with these people uh, who you didn't necessarily know? Hmm. So I hate to, you know, add mysticism to it because (laughs) I, 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 I hate when people do that to me, like, oh, it just happened. But honestly, it was just happenstance and circumstance. But I will say that the foundation of that happenstance and circumstance was, you know, being in the position that I'm in and knowing the players in the position that I was in or that I wanted to be in. So I knew that I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer that maybe dabbled into, you know, music and stuff like that, but just, you know, right now focusing on entertainment law. And, you know, I started learning the players. I Googled the top 100 entertainment law attorneys and, you know, I sent them, you know, emails saying, hey, you know, first legal intern in the history of Essence, you know, under the tutelage of Michelle Evans, like just want to get acquainted with you, things of that nature. And then also, you know, figuring out their trajectory and stuff like that so that I could, you know, start pinpointing people that may be, you know, not the top 100, but still in a position that I definitely want to be. Um, So then I divided it up into two categories. So I had the short-term network of mentors that even at Essence Fest, like while I was there, we were working at with other firms and and things of that nature, or, you know, via email when we had to outsource um, different contract terms and negotiation things, um, Mm -hmm. basically talking to, you know, those associates over at at the firms that we outsourced um, content to and broke it down into two categories. So I had the short-term mentors, six months to two years who I wanted, where the position I wanted to be in. So, you know, that could be like a junior, well, not necessarily a junior associate, but a first year associate at a law firm or things of that nature that, you know, very attainable goals and, you know, just locking them in as a mentor. And then I had the long-term mentors where, you know, I I want my career to look like theirs. Like, it's never going to be a point where, you know, I feel like I can you know, overtake them or anything like that. But I just want to, you know, as much as possible by being true to myself, you know, mirror their, you know, trajectory in the entertainment law industry. 
And to that point, I think it's, you know, very important that you, you know, network, of course, that's cliche, but yeah. also know where to position the network. Because like I said, I know it's cliche and I know, you know, people may roll their eyes when they say network, because how do you network? I, I don't, I can't speak specifically on how to network. Um, as a extroverted introvert, I'm very weird. So it's very different for me. But I can at least tell you that there are three categories that you want to, you know, build that network um, or, or put your mentors in, you know, regarding network. So you have your validators, you have the people that, you know, you may not talk to every week, every day, every month, maybe once a semester. I got a couple of people that are like that, mm -hmm. where I just talk to them, you know, once a semester and just give them, you know, a temperature check on how I'm doing. They do we have a slight conversation and then it's back to business. But those individuals are very important because they might not, you know, write too many letters of recommendation for you. They might not, you know, give you like every single job opening or things of that nature. They might not, you know, be able to, you know, facilitate certain things for you because they're just busy. But once you mention their name, eyebrows start to raise um, or, Another, you know, key factor is, you know, you mention their name and, you know, when other people talk to them and they, they like, yeah, that, that individual, for example, Jade is, is, is very, you know, she, she's ready for that position that y'all have. Like, as soon as you get that head nod from them, doors start to open. And it's very important to have those individuals for me in particular, um, there's, you know, like Michelle Evans. Like she's very busy dealing with S and stuff and stuff like that. So we talk like maybe once a semester or whatever, mm -hmm. but she's always on my reference list. Um, so that's, you know, a very critical, you know, component to your network, to your mentors. The second one is teachers um, and teachers can be actual professors. Like these are people that, you know, teach you the game from, from zero to, to end. Like they, you know, are there to constantly, you know, improve your acumen and improve, you know, your, your knowledge of your field. So I have, you know, a couple of those individuals like Howard alum, Matt Middleton. Um, he's one of those mentors that are, that teaches me the game about music licensing and music law and stuff like that. Do I necessarily, does he necessarily, you know, like help me secure jobs and stuff like that? Not necessarily, but is he there, you know, kind of more so than, you know, some of my validators? Yes. Um, so, you know, I put him in that category and I talk to him like maybe every two weeks, you know, just to chat up, just to, you know, tell him what I'm learning, what I'm reading and stuff like that. And, you know, just, just keeping the ball rolling like that. And then the third one is facilitators. Now, these are the individ individuals that do, you know, the validation. They also do the teaching, but they also, you know, work almost as hard as you when it comes to securing your future, which are amazing individuals. Not to take, not to take anything from the other two categories, but is, you know, they, they put that, you know, extra um for whatever reason, maybe you rubbed them the, wrong, the right way and, you know, they're trying to, you know, push you into, you know, your career. And, you know, they, they're the ones that make as many calls as you do. They're the ones that, you know, say, oh, this person is a good contact. Matter of fact, um, I had a conversation with so-and-so. I'll mention you the next time and stuff like that. So I have a good few of those. And those are the ones that I talk to the most frequent. 
um, mm-hmm. you know, every other day or, you know, I have a certain rotation, but, you know, I try to converse with them as much as possible, but always showing love to each three categories because everybody is important in those three categories. But, you know, that's a, you know, quick general guide of how to, you know, network and how to put those mentors into your network and categorize them. But when it comes to obtaining mentors, just start, just, just work in your area and, and start to research your area. And then you start learning the top players, you start learning the mid players, you start learning the players that you want to be in a relatively short time frame, and just go from there. Okay. So mentors are an extraordinarily important thing for everybody. And especially in the entertainment industry, which is so based on relationships. So I had a question about mentors specifically. So in the entertainment industry, as you know, everybody has their own story. There's no one right way to become, to go to where you want to go. Like we've met people who went to Yale and then went to the studio and now they're head of the department. We met people who didn't go to college at all, did a bunch of different jobs. And now they're the head of their department. There's a real range. So with mentors, and since every journey is different and the industry is shifting so quickly, not only with technology, but also with COVID. And we all know how that's, uh, we don't know how it's going to impact, but we do know it's going to have a significant impact on mm-hmm. how entertainment's done in the future. With things like this, how do you determine which advice should be taken? Uh, because it can't all be current and it can't always be fit for you. So like, how do you determine which, uh, what advice is something to, to live by and what advice is maybe something to not take as seriously as others. Gotcha. So um, basically, going back to that um, different departments, um, if you find that your mentor or somebody that is giving you advice doesn't fit any of those three categories that I mentioned, they're not teaching you on a consistent basis, they're not facilitating things for you, they're not necessarily even validating you. I would take their um, advice with a grain of salt. Um, Also with the change in everything, um, a lot of, uh, just speaking personally and and from an anecdotal standpoint, um, a lot of my mentors talk in the macro. So when they start talking, you know, micro about the entertainment law field or their advice and stuff like that, I kind of take it with a grain of salt or I try to augment it into something that I can then personalize. But, you know, if it's in the macro, if it's just general knowledge or general information or, you know, very applicable um, information, then I I take that and run with it. But um, definitely with, look, we're all trying to figure it out right now. So, you know, even them, they're, they're trying to, you know, navigate this new, you know, pandemic entertainment situation. Um, I just recently uh, attended an online um, conference for uh, Beesla, which is the top, you know, entertainment organization for, for lawyers. And um, in one of their, you know, panels, it was you know, this very question, like trying to figure out what entertainment, what specifically music looks like um, with the pandemic, like Mm -hmm. instead of concerts, because, you know, that's, that's where artists make the most of their money, um, personal money is with with concerts and stuff like that. In the absence of that, now it's, it's 
not necessarily going into dis- desperation mode, but it's definitely changing the landscape. So now what do you do? So like one of the advice was, you know, like creating like drive-in movies, but for concerts and stuff like that, where you just segment, you know, the, the car area and a little bit around the car area and, you know, have performances like that. Um, but yeah, all of that to say that they're figuring it out too. So um, in the end, it's, it's, it's based off of instinct really. Like, I feel like any advice can be used one way or another, whether, you know, you flip it and say, okay, that was good advice, but that's what I'm not going to do. Or if it's advice like, okay, that worked for this, but let me see how I can work it now in a, in a pandemic. Or even if it's something, you know, very specific for them that you can then personalize to like, let's say they got, you know, amazing advice when it comes to deal terms for film you can then change that and alter that to deal terms for music on a specific level and, and still, you know, take that advice and run with it. But yeah, it's, it's definitely up to your own discretion and to your own instinct, but yeah, it's a difficult question, but I mm-hmm. think, you know, if you use your instinct and if you, you know, use your, your, your logic and your, your discretion, like you can alter pretty much any advice into useful advice. Mm. Okay. Now I'm going to make a slight pivot because earlier this year, uh, you did something pretty cool. So the Howard Entertainment Program, which is a pipeline program uh, that was birthed out of a partnership between Amazon Studios and Howard University to uh, sort of funnel students into the entertainment industry and give them a leg up. Uh, You were part of that. You were part of the inaugural cohort. Uh, We both were. And yes, we were for yeah. yeah, yeah, that's how we met. And the pandemic sort of, ugh, pardon me, and the pandemic sort of cut it short and we had to go back home and finish it out back home. I never really got to, a chance to talk to you about how it was. So can you tell me, how was it being in the Howard Entertainment Program as a law student? What was that like? And what did you learn? And just how was it? Oh, man, it was, it was amazing. Like, I'm, I'm so like, you know, Life is all about, you know, taking the the, the bitter with the better. Um, and, you know, definitely do that with the Howard Entertainment Program. But I so wish, like, maybe push the pandemic out to July or something like that. <laughs> Give us a couple more months. Because, yeah, it was, it was so good for so many reasons, right? It was, so, yeah. Like, yeah, like, for me personally, it was good because I only you know, go into California or Los Angeles in passing. So um, either I'm there like very, very quickly for a certain event, or I was like there for the longest when I was about to head over to Japan um, a couple years after I graduated high school for um, a mock trial event, actually. Um, And, you know, living in California, specifically in, in Los Angeles, um, it's just a different vibe, like from everything from the landscape of it, where your background is always mountain ranges and, and possibly skyscrapers, which is the craziest combination I've ever seen mm-hmm. to, to, you know, the, the actual time where, you know, you wake up, but everybody on the East coast is, you know, ahead of you. So you have two decisions at that point in time. And, 
you either, you know, feel anxiety all the time whenever you wake up at eight o'clock and feel like, oh, wow, it's like lunchtime over there. I'm so behind. Or you can just live in the moment of, of being in Los Angeles and, you know, make everything work to your time. And that's kind of like the Los Angeles, the, the LA vibe in and of itself is that, you know, it's not necessarily a rush to, to be on the time of, you know, the, the East Coast, like everything, you know, happens when it happens. And then the second part was just being around like-minded individuals. Like granted, you know, definitely coming from a music background, um, the rest of the cohort for the most part, including yourself coming from, you know, more of, you know, a theatrical film and television mm-hmm. background, but it's all entertainment at the end of the day. And, you know, there are, you know, so many different links and similarities in, you know, music and, you know, the music entertainment industry, as well as the film and television entertainment industry, as well as, you know, just being in LA and, you know, going to, you know, whatever event and meeting, you know, A&R for this record label or, you know, another person from, you know, this another record label. Like it's, it's you know, amazing to just, you know, be around so many like-minded individuals where, you know, like I said, I was from Savannah, Georgia. Once in a while I would go to Atlanta. So I would, you know, catch a similar vibe there. But, you know, really being in Savannah, Georgia, spending most of my life in South Carolina, going up to North Carolina, kind of sort of there more so into finance in Charlotte and then going to DC where you know it's definitely governmental type a personalities and you know definitely a lawyer um type of environment but not necessarily an entertainment lawyer environment it was just completely different to be you know with so many like minds and you know just getting advice from from everywhere every facet like my network 10 grew tenfold over there. And then also like the last part is the fact that, you know, being in music, there's different nuances and stuff like that to, you know, the law, but, you know, being in film and television, it's another nuance. Like you have to deal with, you know, guilds and stuff like that. You have to deal with, you know, the legal parameters around writers rooms and, you know, all of that good stuff. And, you know, the Howard entertainment program, you know, with Amazon Studios gave us or and gave me specifically that opportunity to, you know, learn the business side or the business affairs side, I should say, the the juicy deal terms of, you know, legal contracts for film and television. And there's, you know, different nuances. I would say that it's a bit more difficult um, <laughs> in music law. Like, yeah, like there's so many different, you know, line items that you have to, you know, worry about when it comes to um, film and television, you know, making sure that everybody is paid to scale, like paid to scale is, you know, way different than, you know, in music where, you know, it's kind of a negotiation term. This is actually a staunch legal matter. So it's, it's, it's different. Um, But yeah, for those three reasons, like, the Howard and more, of course, but the Howard Entertainment Program was and continues to be amazing as as one of the liaisons to help, you know, perpetuate and to, you know, get more people into the Howard Entertainment Program. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still continues to be amazing. Um, it's, it's a good look to, to finally have, 
you know, a pipeline for entertainment lawyers. Like I said earlier, you know, you always had like public interest, you had, you know, private with the big law firms, but nothing really in the middle for entertainment law. Like you really had to go and almost like I did create your own um, avenue. But, you know, with this, it starts to become, you know, a partnership with Amazon Studios, then, you know, possibly other aspects of Amazon. And then we have now a full pipeline for entertainment attorneys. So mm. yeah, it was dope. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear how it went for you. Because like, again, we never really got a chance to talk because of the the pandemic, for real. Yeah, like but, we were three months in and yeah, that was it. Like we was, we was pretty much on planes back and it, within, you know, it, and it's weird. Like it didn't seem like it was like a hundred and something days. It felt like, you know, even in those three months, like we were living life. We sure were. A good moment. <laughs> uh-huh. Going to the beach, going to events. It was a going oh. to class, of course. Love class. Class, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was such a wonderful time. And I'm really glad that it was as wonderful for you as it was for me. Uh, definitely a highlight of the college career. And in the Absolutely. summer, uh, you were also an intern at the Amazon Music Business. And you were an uh, Amazon Music Business and Legal Intern as a continuation of the program. And I don't know how much you can get into of that, but I do want to ask you, what was it like being uh, a legal intern uh, virtually? Because up until that point, you've, you've always been in person. So what was that like? Did you like it more? Did you like it less? Like, do you think that's something you could do for the rest of your career? Tell me. So honestly, I didn't like to a certain point, like I said, I always take the better with the better. I didn't like the fact that it made it difficult to network. And I'll advise, you know, anybody listening that, you know, when you are, you know, in these virtual climates, you have to work that much harder to network. So, you know, maybe creating a more interactive resume for them personally, along with your, you know, regular resume, but something to, you know, put you over that, you know, hump of everybody is looking at like 5 million emails, everybody is looking at a screen right now. So the monotony kind of plays against you in, you know, standing out and building your network. So that was the one part that, you know, I would give a one out of five stars for, but everything else was simply amazing. So actually, kind of to the point of networking it was at you know one of our capstone classes where you know we met timothy henshaw who is you know the the business side of you know rap rotation for amazon music and you know me me conversing with him telling me yo like i'm definitely into law but your story about the record labels is crazy like as a producer and stuff like that like i told him my crazy idea of, you know, in the future, you know, going into work at a record label in a three-piece suit, dealing with business affairs and legal matters. And then, you know, towards the end of the day, changing clothes, putting on something comfortable, going into the basement of the record label or wherever the floor is for music, and then start hashing out records and stuff like that. Like having a a career where I get very little sleep, but a ton of enjoyment. And he laughed at that. And was like no you're crazy but okay <laughs> we can try to get you into we could try to you know segue you into that and 
you know, it was just an amazing experience. And I went in with, you know, 100% enthusiasm, you know, irrespective of the fact that, you know, I would be seeing everybody over the screen. And like I said, I, you know, overcompensated or in this case, kind of compensated for the fact that, you know, it was going to be remote. So Tim was one of my supervisors. I got to, you know, meet his team and, you know, do work for them and do negotiations and, you know, sit in on all of these, you know, amazing deals that, that were going down when I was there. But then also he got me into contact with my other supervisor, Corey Cooper, on the legal side of things from um, Amazon Music. And Corey, along with um, everybody over there at Amazon Music Legal, then created a curriculum where, you know, almost, you know, every week I would report to another supervisor and do different work. So um, one of them, one of the supervisors would give me work for um, music licensing and stuff like that. And another one would give me work for, you know, like current projects that are under the works and, you know, just figuring out the legal um, ramifications for those situations. And yeah, it was just an amazing experience um, with, you know, working on both sides, but also working on, you know, like some of the like bleeding edge technology that and, and ideas that they have over at Amazon Music. Like, like you said, when you asked the question, most of it is like top secret. Even yeah. Now. Um, <laughs> like one of the ones that I worked on that is, you know, not necessarily a secret now is um, Project Red Hood which is Amazon's music's um, introduction into the podcasting realm. Yeah. So, you know, that was an amazing experience, you know, dealing with the different, you know, terms and stuff like that, that was going on there and figuring out the legal ramifications for certain issues that they would get me to look up. But um, yeah, there's, and there's so much more that I can't say, but yeah, it was truly an amazing experience to, you know, go from Amazon Studios where, you know, TV and film and looking at deal terms there to then take some of that and immediately apply it over to Amazon Music. Like I, I hope that becomes a, a mainstay in the Howard Entertainment Program's um, mm -hmm. curriculum because that is an amazing experience. Even if you're wanting to do one or the other, I don't care which one I do um, as long as I'm in entertainment. But, um, you know, it's good to see, you know, that that disparity um, or, or that dichotomy of, you know, what works with film and television on one side, what works with, you know, music on the other side and how they kind of correlate and intermingle and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, truly an amazing experience. Hope to be back soon. Um, yeah, I, it. it I mean, I was extended like a couple of times, but you know, it was still too short for me because there was so many projects that they kept on throwing at me um, based on, you know, me getting the job done that, you know, still want to do even now. Um, didn't know how I was going to do it because I had school and stuff like that. Uh -huh. but yeah, still wanted to do it, but no, it was an amazing experience. And hopefully, like I said, more people can follow in those footsteps. Yes, hopefully, because I mean, it's a career defining moment. Now we've been talking a lot about what you've been doing, but I kind of want to talk about how you are. That was a corny transition, but we're going to keep going with it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you've been doing, so you've been working in a lot of these demanding programs, which require a lot mentally, physically, emotionally, because you're putting your all into it because it's art and that's just what art is. So 
when you're in these demanding programs, what do you do to make you to make you feel like your best, most energized self? So that is an excellent question. And I kind of learned that question or the answer to that question um, in in law school, um, my first year. So um, to, to those listening, if you're about to go in and you know, you, you, you're going to be a 1L. Don't let the following discourage you from going into law school. Um, if you've already um, been there, you know, you can kind of nod your head at some of the stuff I'm about to say. But um, yeah, 1L life, like I feel like you learn three things very important. Um, you, of course, learn the law. Um, you, you learn yourself deeply. And then you learn your peers around you. Um, so, you know, of course, learning the law, self-explanatory, that's what you're getting graded for, right? Um, your only grade, <laughs> more times than not for the semester um, in each class. Um, and then you learn your peers because one of the things in knowing yourself, I'll get to that, but one of the things you know and you get to know in learning yourself is the fact that, you know, you are strong in certain categories and maybe weaker in other categories of the law. So in your 1L you know, class curriculum, you may be exceptional in contracts, but you, know, you don't get civil procedure or you are, in my case, really good at canons and really good at understanding um, legal methods or legislation regulation, whichever name you, you, you use and you may, you know, be lacking in another category. Um, I think mine was memorizing Taurus. So you quickly learn like where you're good at, where you're not and how to leverage it with your peers. So you start looking at your peers and you start seeing who's good at what and who's not so good at what. And, you know, if those, you know, interests, you know, match where, you know, somebody is strong in something that you're weak in and you're strong in something that they're weak in, um, you create a partnership and then you create groups where, you know, y'all work on the same thing. And then even to that point, you got to, you know, learn your qualities and stuff like that of how you study. So going to the final part and to answer your question, you absolutely have to learn yourself. Like that's the main, you know, I feel like that's the main game of 1L life in the three to four hours that you have to sleep because the rest of it is either in class or briefing. Um, you got to learn like how, how to, to one, manage the, the, the work and then two, like how to uh, soak in the work because there was times and first time that it ever happened in my life where I was reading the pages, but nothing was retained. Like mm -hmm. I was just reading words at that point in time. And it was like, you know, I was like a hundred pages into, you know, a assignment for a week um, for one of my classes. Um, and yeah, I just could not retain any more information. So I had to study myself and figure out, okay, what triggers that? Like, am I hungry? No, <laughs> if I eat, because if I eat, I'm gonna go to sleep. And then if I go to sleep, I fall into the trap of, oh, I'm going to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and try to get my study done. 
I wake up at seven and now I ain't read and now I'm in the middle of class looking kind of silly because the professor called on me and um, in, in, in law school, like if you get called on, you get called on for the entire class. So you gotta just constantly get called on and constantly not know the answer. It's, it's, it's a very, a very different experience. <laughs> so, you know, just learning, um, you know, how I studied, learning when to study, because at first I thought mornings were good. Absolutely not. I didn't retain anything. So turns out to be sunsets is, you know, when I'm the most energetic. So I started studying during sunsets, working to the evening, um, you know, learning when to take breaks, um, learning how much sleep you actually need in order to be productive and, and stuff like that. And, you know, at what point you are too prepared where you start second guessing yourself. So all of that to say that, you know, 1L life was very, you know, integral in um, teaching me, you know, more about myself. So now, you know, whenever I'm too stressed, I know that, you know, it's time to work out because that's how I got through 1L. Um, whenever I was too stressed about a class, I'm like, yo, we only got one um, grade for this entire class. And if I bomb this one grade, that is it for this entire class. Once I start thinking like that, oh, it's time to get on the treadmill or mm -hmm. oh, it's time to start taking a jog or something like that. Um, and then if I feel too drained, I know to, you know, start playing video games, but knowing when to cut it off because, you know, of course I got work to do. Um, and then also, you know, learning, you know, how much work is too much work. I think that's another thing that a lot of people that that's going to listen to this can, can learn and definitely use immediately is it's okay to a certain extent to say that your plate is full regarding, you know, a supervisor or something like that, or saying that, hey, Supervisor A gave me an assignment that's due the same time as Supervisor C, and now you're asking me to have another assignment due. Can I check with Supervisor A to see if I can push that back or something along those lines? Because odds are when you do stuff like that, that's when they'll get into contact with, you know, other supervisors and they'll, you know, start, you know, moving your schedule around. But, you know, it all starts with knowing you first. So, you know, if you're not going through the law school way, um, I would just advise you to just take, you know, this break maybe to learn yourself, to reflect on, you know, how you took the stress of being at Zoom University, <laughs> how you took the stress of, you know, taking finals with a proctor that was staring at you through a screen, like take all of that in and then figure out like, how you react in a positive manner to those situations and how you counteract the stress that comes from those situations. Hmm. Wonderful. Well, uh, we're wrapping up now. We're at the end of our time. So I'm going to ask you this last question that I ask everybody, uh, every interview ends this way. So Drew, you are clearly really doing it. You've got a lot of first time prestigious internships under your belt. You're picking up knowledge left and right. You're learning from esteemed people who are really invested in your future and you're clearly on your way to success. So Drew, how will you know when you've made it? So <laughs> that's a funny question. I was actually talking to one of my friends about this 
So I have a very superficial, shallow question. I mean, shallow answer to this. And then I have like a really uh, a more profound, I guess, deeper one. But <laughs> I almost don't want to share the shallow one. But Oh, I'll no share. shame in the game. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so it's always, it's been since, I don't know where I heard this from either. But it was since like middle school where I wanted, I'll measure success when if I drop a dollar on the floor, it costs me more money to pick up the dollar than just to leave the dollar on the floor. Okay. That's how I measure success on a financial standpoint, on a very shallow end. Like that, that's always been my, you know, dream. And I've calculated the numbers and it is a very substantial amount of, um, you know, financial security that you need to be at to, to even make that happen. But, you know, that's just one of those things. Like, I, I feel like everybody has a quirk like that. Like, mm-hmm. um, I, I just got done reading um, the, the history or, or the, bi- the autobiography of Bob Iger. And his oh, was I do enjoy this, Bob um, you said what? I do enjoy Bob Iger. I think his business acumen and the places he took Disney was fantastic, but go ahead. ahead. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And one of the things that helped him propel, propel him to that is this notion of this thing called in, in Japanese shokunin, which means um, the relentless pursuit of perfection. So he constantly watched and he, he said it in his book, he constantly watched this um, sushi chef, um, that's 88 years old, still trying to master his craft, still trying to perfect his craft. Like he would throw out like tons of sushi because the temperature would be off by half a degree. And, you know, that's, that's his quirk. Like he, he gets, he even said in the book, like his leadership team, you know, goes and, you know, has to watch that, you know, biography of that um, sushi, sushi chef. So it's it's always you know something. So that's my thing, but in, in on a deeper sense, um, life is all and and you know just being in the business around life is always about profit, about you know always taking in um, more than you receive. I will measure success when I am at a deficit, but can still you know handle life around me. So. And, and I'm not talking the deficit in money, but I'm talking a deficit in the amount of resources that I provide for the world, for entertainment, for music, for, you know, my mentees, even for my mentors that are looking for me to, you know, kind of help them out to, you know, continue to, you know, perpetuate them. Um, if I can give out more than I take in on a consistent basis and still be good, that's how I measure success. So once I get to that point right now, I'm taking in way more than I'm giving out, but hopefully I can get to a point where that evens out and then it starts to flip. And then, yeah, that's, that'll be when I'm successful. All right. Wonderful. Well, can you tell the people where they can find you? Sure. Sure. So actually I recently started, you know, a new avenue of streaming music production in my spare time, which is very little, but you can find those streams um, and, you know, other, you know, piano covers and stuff like that um, on my Instagram, um, underscore, I'm Drew to this. Um, so, and, and that's all spelled, you know, regularly. 
Um, but yeah, that's the main way to, to, to contact me. Um, if you have any questions about entertainment, um, if you have any questions about music, if you have any questions about entertainment law or just law in general, or just life, you just like the sound of my voice and you think that I'm a cool dude to, to, to vibe with like and, and chat it up. Like I'm always, like I said, always trying to turn that into a deficit. So I'm always taking on more mentees than I have mentors. So, you know, feel free to contact me on there. Um, LinkedIn is also Drew Emerson. Um, and then, um, yeah, yeah, you can just contact me on either one of those platforms and I'll be back in touch with you or just, you know, follow me, listen to my music. <laughs> and you've just finished listening to the fourth bonus episode of On Their Way. On The Way was created, hosted, and edited by me, Jade Madison Scott. The theme music was composed by Bajo Alvarado, and the logo was created by Amaka Cord. If you want to financially support us and do some last, last-minute holiday shopping, you can buy some of our merchandise. We've got mugs, stickers, pens, t-shirts, sweatshirts, pillowcases, phone cases, notebooks, etc., etc. Uh, to make a purchase, you can go to our website, wgcproductions.com, click the store tab, and then boom, you'll be right there. If you want to support us and you want it to be free 99, you can come and follow us at with Goodco at W I T H G O O D C O on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram so you can stay connected and see what we're up to, you know. We like talking to you, slide us a DM, do what you will. Episode transcripts are available on our website, WGCproductions.com. And that is all I have to say. I hope you guys have had a wonderful Hanukkah and I hope you will have a Merry Christmas. And if you don't celebrate, I hope you have a great week. All right, remember to take care of yourselves and also remember to. Wear your masks. <laughs>